I was in Caesarea Philippi, speaking of the Holy Land, back in March. This is a picture of that place. Um, it's, uh, it's a beautiful place. And um, it's, it's a, it, there's a natural spring there. And the former uh, pagan temple, but then turned into a church. And uh, as you can see, it's on many different levels, which means you have to walk up and down uh, to get there. And I was there in March, and I was really kind of up there near the top, and there's some wooden steps that they've built, because everything there is <laughs> rocks. And I misstepped and took a fall off of those steps. And if you fall in Israel, you're going to fall on rocks, because that's all they got is rocks. So all the king's horses and all the king's men picked Humpty Dumpty up again. <laughs> and uh, I, I'd actually kind of hurt myself pretty bad. I didn't know it. And uh, so the rest of that trip was very difficult for me. I ended up coming home in a wheelchair, and I hadn't been in a wheelchair since 1989 when I got run over by a truck. So um, it wasn't good. My wife insisted that I have some tests after that, which I did. And uh, on the same day, within a two-hour period, uh, I got the results from an orthopedic surgeon who said, and I'm quoting, your neck is a mess. I love it when they use technical terms like that. Your neck is a mess. Two hours later, I was at the cardiologist, and he put up all the PET scan pictures and said to me, these are the worst test results I've ever seen in my entire career. I said, wait a minute, how long have you been practicing? He said, 21 years. I said, oh, let me get this straight. You're telling me that these are the worst test results you've seen in 21 years. Absolutely, no one's even close. That's just what you want to hear. So on June the 15th of this year, I had um, bypass surgery, coronary bypass surgery, five of them. Six is the most you can have. <laughs> they went in to do three. So um, I wound up in a hospital. You know, I've been in the hospital for altogether many, many months. And so here I am in this picture. I love this picture because I... You know, all the instruments are behind you. You kind of get curious sometimes about what are, what's my blood pressure? What is this? So I figured out if I took my phone and put it on reverse, I might be able to see the test results up in the corner. So that's what that picture is. You know, you always look so good in a hospital bed, you know? It's one of your finest hours. So there I am in the hospital having bypass surgery. When you get out, you can't stand up, not, not by yourself. I mean, you, you're gonna get out of, out of your chair shortly and you'll use your arms or hand to push up off the table or everything. You can't push anything with your arms because your chest has been opened and then they put it back together again. So they give you this. Anybody, this look familiar to anybody? Yeah, if you had open heart surgery, you'd get one of these. I don't know where they come from. I guess people make them or something but you have to put it against your chest like this and put your arms around it, and then you can kind of get up, uh, maybe rock two or three times, and then finally, you know, you're finally up, and people go, he's up, you know, he's up, he got up. So this becomes your life for a while. So I'm gonna keep this, I'm not sure I'm gonna cherish it, but I am gonna keep it because of the memories associated with it. What happens when you have heart trouble? Well, 
I think a lot of things can happen. And the Bible actually has some things to say about that. You won't be surprised because it's the center of our existence. Even though it's really just a muscle that pumps blood, we have, a, we have appropriated it as the center of our, our existence. You know, we know that brain controls really everything, but without the heart, the brain is useless. So the heart is, is the center of our not just our existence, but our soul, our spirituality, everything that essentially is us comes from the heart. Jesus knew this, and some of the most familiar verses in the Bible talk about the heart. They are in John chapter 14, uh, which is my favorite chapter in in the Bible. And that's a tough choice because there's lots of great ones. Jesus had just washed the feet of his disciples. He just told them that one of them will betray him. He's just told them that, that he's going to leave them. He told, told them that they would be dispersed and they would run away. He's told them a lot of bombshells, some very powerful things in the 13th chapter. And this is a continuation. Uh, the scribe who was transcribing this probably just got tired at some point, put down the pen, and then we have another chapter. Uh, but it's continuous. Uh, from because chapter 14, verse one, really is a continuation of what he's just told them. He's just washed their feet and they're just petrified at the notion that he would do that. And he did tell them, you don't understand this now, but one day you will understand it, and we do. But then he looks into their faces like I'm looking into yours and he has some words for them. And here they are, very familiar. John chapter 14, verse one. Let not your hearts be troubled. You believe in God, believe in me also. In my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. But I go to prepare a place for you, and if I do go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you unto myself, that where I am, you will be also, and you know where I'm going, and you know the way. You know how to get there. Thomas said to him, Lord, we do not know where you're going. How can we know the way? In, in common everyday vernacular, he's just saying, we don't know where you're going and how are we supposed to know? How can we know the way? And Jesus answered in what I believe are, are the most powerful description of who he actually is. You wanna know the way? I am the way. I am the truth. I am the life, no man comes to the Father except through me. So, what is the cure for heart trouble? Not the kind I had, but I had to find a cure. They told me I might have had a year without the surgery. We had a birthday party on June the 11th, my birthday, and I had the surgery on June the 15th. At that party were my six grandchildren. All I had to do was look in their faces to know that I needed to do this for them and for me. What does trouble mean in this verse? It's the Greek translation of let not your hearts be troubled is agitated. Let not your hearts be agitated. Can you imagine how agitated they are in Israel today? Well, that's not the only place. Go to the Ukraine. I mean, we we could go to a lot of places. They're clearly agitated. And so this is, a, this, is a, this is a now problem. And Jesus is addressing it with the guys that had followed him around for, for three and a half years in many cases. 
They were looking for something different. They were looking for a political leader who would help them free, deliver Israel. Has much changed? Not really. Israel is still looking for its freedom and its, its existence. And so he's, that's what they're looking for. And that's not what he was. Job 5, 7 says, man is born into trouble. Should we be surprised? I mean, I didn't create some of the things that my kids did. And I certainly didn't create, I did create the things that I did that my parents were troubled by. I mean, it's just the way we exist. It's a, it's a part and parcel of our humanity. So, so Jesus knows this, let not your hearts be troubled. And they were troubled. I mean, I can imagine the expressions on their face when he delivered all this stuff. So what is the cure for heart trouble? Well, here's, here's the first thing, and it's right at the beginning. Believe in me. Believe in me, he's saying. You believe in God, believe in me. They were looking at God. He was God among them, and he still is God among us. He is here. He is the Word. In the beginning was the Word. Jesus is the Word become flesh. What do we say when somebody gives their soul pledges their life to Jesus. What do we say? They come, Jesus comes into your heart. Yes. It's because that's the essence of salvation. That's, that's the way we become followers of Jesus. So we wouldn't, we shouldn't be surprised when he says, let not your hearts be troubled because that's where Jesus is supposed to be in us, in our hearts. That's the thing that's supposed to give us solace, supposed to give us comfort. We're not really victims of fate. Our luck didn't run out. We're children of God. When trouble comes, we have his divine protection. I read that the word oops is not in God's vocabulary. No, it isn't. He knows what's going to happen, and he's there for it. Why should I be freaking out, filled with stress, agitation, when Christ is in my heart? You believe in God? Believe in me also, Jesus says. And then he says, I'm going to prepare a place for you. I'm going to prepare a place for you. We have heaven. Heaven is our ultimate destination. It's our final destination. We're going to heaven. That's our ultimate conclusion of a life lived for Christ. We shouldn't have a troubled heart. We've placed our faith in Jesus. You know, I'm not better than most of the people of the world. I mean, I'm just not. But I'm better off because I have Christ and I know where I'm going. I'm going to heaven, and I can't wait to get there. I mean, I have tried to postpone it by being a steward of my existence. I mean, I think that's a wise thing to do, even though it's not easy, I'll tell you. That pillow reminds me, it's tough. It was tough, but it was worth it because I'm, I'm still here for my family, and I couldn't love them more than I do. I know when I die, I'm going to heaven. 
2 Corinthians 4.17. Our present troubles are quite small and won't last very long, yet they produce for us an immeasurably great glory that will last forever. Yeah, we are troubled. We do have difficulties. We know that we do personally, nationally, worldwide. We have, we have troubles, but they won't last forever, it says. In fact, none of them are compared to the immeasurable glory that will last forever. The troubles will soon be over and the joys will last forever. We have heaven. We know where we're going. We don't act like we know that sometimes. I think it's inevitable in our lives that we, we really feel like there's something beyond this. It's a part of the human existence. It's a part of our DNA. Well, I'm happy to announce that heaven is real. It's more real than this. We know this is fleeting. We know this won't last long. Heaven will. I talked to a man yesterday in Ohio who lost his 29-year-old daughter. I'm gonna to talk to him again this afternoon. He wanted me to call him back. I said to him, as I often do in those kind of situations, Paul, I'm sorry for your temporary separation from your little girl. If you're a father, your daughter is always your little girl. It's real, I said, but it won't last. I believe that. I believe there's a better place. I believe that heaven is real. And Jesus said, I go to prepare a place for you. Let not your hearts be troubled. If you know where you're going, Barna, the great uh, poll taker, took a poll in the United States and 54% of the people reported and believed that if you're good and do good deeds, you're going to heaven. 54%. That's not what Jesus said. That's not even close to what Jesus said. He did say, my father's house are many mansions and there's one for everyone. But he also said, no man comes to the father except through me. I believe that. It's not good deeds. It's not being good. Those are highly commendable. But that's not God's standard for heaven. One sin would keep us out of heaven. But Jesus was about to die right after he said these words and pay the price so that we can have heaven. He's coming back. We gotta be ready. That's the last thing. And if I go to prepare a place for you, I will come again. I mean, you open a newspaper, if you still read the newspapers, or you get online and see the news services, they're blaring about the war in the Middle East. They're blaring about the earthquake in Afghanistan that killed 2,000 people just a couple of days ago. If you read Revelation, it doesn't take a rocket scientist to put this together. Wars and rumors of wars, earthquakes, thousands of people dying. I, I think the time is, is near for the imminent return of Jesus. Should we be surprised? He said he was gonna come back and receive us unto himself. This time, it's not gonna be the same as it was before. This time, it's not to forgive sin, it's to reclaim his people. It's our one chance not to die if Jesus returns in our lifetime and we're 
faithful followers of Jesus, to meet him, just to meet him and go to heaven. We can depend on this. He said he was coming back. You read Revelation 21, the first six verses, and you'll see in there that it says that in heaven we will be with God three times. We will be with God, with God, and with God. Anybody ask you what the best thing about heaven is, that's it. But Jesus said, you're gonna be with me in, in John 14. We'll be together. We will be with him. Now that's something we can hang our hat on. That's something we could be excited about. That's something that should help us overcome a troubled heart. It's utterly dependable that Jesus is coming back for his people. So, let not your hearts be troubled. Heaven is real. Jesus is coming back. Jesus is God, very God. And he came to dwell among us. He knew that they were hurting. He knew that they were confused. He knew that they needed some help and encouragement and he gave it to them. Let not your hearts be troubled. You believe in God, believe in me also. I don't know where you are today. You, you may have come to lunch, but really you brought a lot of problems with you and you're hurting and God understands. Maybe you really are legitimately troubled. There are some things on your heart that's just overwhelming. I understand that. I, I know the feeling, I truly do. But in times like this, in times like yours, Jesus looks at you into your eyes like he looked into these fellows' eyes and said, let not your hearts be troubled. A week ago today, I was in Bossier City, Louisiana, where I grew up. I wasn't there because it was a happy occasion. I was there for the funeral of one of my best friends on earth. I knew him for 55 years. That's older than some of you are. And uh, he was one of the great loves of my life. He was the best man in my wedding. Um, I, I was a roommate in college. We lived together for three years. And um, you, you, to know him was to love him. You would have loved him. This is a picture of him. William Darrell Guyton, about 6'4", weighed about, uh, oh, probably in his best of health, uh, probably 225, 230. He's a big boy. And uh, I loved him. We all did. We all did. I mean, there were many, 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 many people at his funeral. Uh, his two children, of course, his grandchildren, and, and a host of people had been blessed by him all of his life. I, I loved him. I will miss him. Daryl Guyton. In January of this year, we had a memorial service here in this church for my daughter, Nicole Piper Flanagan. He was there. This is the picture of him back in the family room. He had cancer already, but he came. You see, Daryl was in the father's waiting room with me on a night that Nicole was born. 
Back in those days, you couldn't go in a delivery room with your wife, but they did have a separate room for fathers to wait. What a room that was. <laughs> Talk about a bunch of nervous uh, guys pacing around, uh, waiting for some news. It's a big hospital in Shreveport called Shumpert, Catholic hospital, and uh, little nuns are running around everywhere. And you're hoping one of them is gonna give you some good news. Daryl came, he found out that all the other fathers had already had their babies, except me, and I was alone. So he came to be with me in that room, waiting for the cold to show up. I figure when Daryl got to heaven last week, she was waiting for him. That's the cure for heart trouble. Jesus is God. Heaven is real. And he's coming back. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for a chance to gather like this on Tuesdays. What an awesome idea this is. And we pray that it will continue to be that. I pray for all the people here Perhaps they certainly showed up today on a personal level with a troubled heart. If they do not know you, but I'm praying, Lord, they will ask Jesus into their heart. And Lord, comfort and encourage all of us on a, on a worldwide basis. We pray for the peace of Jerusalem. On a personal basis, we pray for our own country, our own leadership, and certainly our own people. God bless our state and our city and these precious people today who took time out of their day to come and be together to talk about you and fellowship. Thank you for calming our troubled hearts. We love you. We offer this prayer in the name of the one who's building us a better place, Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen.